these things. Um, as a singer, letting my voice out into the world was a whole transformation. It still is a transformation every day, like letting go of that fear, shedding all of these traumas that we've been told, like you're not good enough. Um, this is something I teach my students on a regular basis. And I started to realize so much of what I teach is so related to the mind and the body and the spirit. It's not just that I'm teaching technique, you know, like, yes, I'm teaching you how to have proper breast support and I'm teaching you how to find more space and more placement. But all of that is related to what's going on in your mind. Welcome to Faith and What Resonates a show that explores the intersection of faith, spirituality, music and art, and the ways that we make meaning. I'm Gail Gallagher, professional musician and lifelong seeker. I'm a member of the Unitarian Universalist Church, and one of our principles is that everyone has their own search for truth and meaning. On this show, I talk to musicians, artists, clergy, and other awesome people about the ways that they find meaning as we explore the magic of the things that resonate. My guest today is Sarah Jelly. Sarah is a Hawaii-based singer-songwriter and vocal coach. In this conversation, we talk about her spiritual journey, the dangers of spiritual bypassing and toxic positivity. We also talk about her album, Holes, her work as a vocal coach, and so much more. You'll be hearing some of her music throughout this episode, kicking off with her song, Sing, as we go into our conversation. Right. Well, I am here on the Zoom with Sarah Jelly. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Gail. And due to the magic of the internet, Sarah's in Hawaii, and I'm in Chicago, and we're living our best lives. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, uh, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do in the world? Yes. Um, I am a voice teacher and a singer-songwriter, and I don't know, I'm coming, kind of determining whether I want to be more of a vocal coach or a voice teacher right now. I'm kind of gravitating towards the vocal coach world because that seems more open-ended and fun, and that's kind of where I'm going with that part of my business. Um, but I'm really kind of trying to grow as a vocal coach and then also as a singer-songwriter at the same time. Hopefully they can feed into each other. And mostly I'm just trying to bring more... Um, self-awareness and self-acceptance into the world and let people feel their feelings a little more and, um, you know, just try and be the most, the best role model I can be for my students and for anybody else that needs one and also just be a good person and put out good things. Hmm. Yeah, those those are like, very, we have very similar missions in that. I mean, that's yeah. really the best mission, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, for those uh, who, uh, just to tell you, uh, the audience, a little bit about uh, how Sarah and I met. We met through this group uh, called Amplify, which is this really great musician community. And we actually put out albums around the same time last year. Yeah, I think this was like a month before mine. Yeah, um, and that was just really cool to support each other through that. And we'll definitely, I want to talk about some of those songs uh, later on in the conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah, so as this is a show about our like faith journeys and sort of where we find meaning, um, can you give the audience a little bit of the like the the how it started, how it's going of your journey, and then we'll like dive down into <laughs> specific patches. <laughs> yes, okay, so... Um, as far as my faith journey, I started out uh, with two parents who had been very much uh, indoctrinated in their churches and so had in adulthood just given up on all of that. So mm. I was raised with no religion, no real talk about faith as far as I remember. Um, and then my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer um, when I was eight. And then around 9 or 10, we started going to Unitarian Church. I think she was just looking for a little more comfort for herself, and also she wanted us to have a little bit of connection, you know, while we were going through this really hard time together as a family. 
Um, and that was pretty cool. Um, I, I never really resonated with a whole lot of like the, the Christian parts of learning about, um, all the different religions. Um, I never really resonated with any of the religion-y things. Mm -hmm. Um, but I really enjoyed having that community of the Unitarian church because they're the nicest people ever. And they're so chill and so, um, welcoming. And, um, when my mom passed, we had her funeral there and it was, I just, I felt like I was very supported and very safe there. So that was really nice. Um, and then teenage years happened and we stopped going to Unitarian church and I don't know, we just kind of did our own thing and we were just trying to, you know, survive in the world, my sister and I as teenagers. And, um, (laughs) my dad was raised Catholic. And so he, I think has a, you know, as a lot of ex-Catholics do, a healthy amount of resentment. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Towards, towards a lot of the things that happen when you're in Catholic school. Um, and I don't want to speak for him too much, but that's what I got from it. And, um, I didn't really, um, need anything. I didn't feel like I needed, um, a connection to the divine or anything until later when I started doing my, uh, yoga teacher training in my twenties. And, um, I was, um, introduced to kirtan and like devotional singing and chanting. Mm-hmm. And that was really eye opening because I've always been a music person and music really touches me like to my core. And so that was the first time I'd really connected with the divine through music Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, my parents had, you know, introduced a couple, you know, other than Christmas songs, <laughs> <laughs> I guess, um, a couple here and there, little hymns that they enjoyed. But otherwise, that was my first really um, attempt at connecting to something bigger than myself. And it felt so much easier because I kind of had found it on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just loved the the fact that you don't even have to know what you're saying because it's in Sanskrit, which is like and super ancient language. Mm-hmm. Um, you can know a little bit about maybe the, the deities that they're talking about, but you don't even have to know what you're saying, but you just feel the devotion. And that's really the, the core of it. And I loved that feeling. And I loved how the literal vibrations, um, the cool thing about Kirtan is that your mouth shapes are creating the vibrations of the feelings that you're wanting to get to. And I don't know all the science behind that, but it's such an ancient language that it was created based on vibrations and energy. And and Kirtan, like sort of where is it in the the family tree of of different practices? Is it like, um, is it Buddhist adjacent or? It's very Hindu adjacent. Hindu adjacent, okay. Yes, 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 yes. Um, So you have a lot of Krishna and Shiva and Ganesha um, chanting happening. Um, And this was super, you know, eye-opening. I was learning so much at the time. And mostly I was just trying to feel. And that was my real first um, connection to really feeling connected to, like, something's something's got me, you know. Mm. Something's taking care of me. And as long as I feel that devotion and I'm chanting and I'm feeling the vibration after you chant, that's the coolest part of kirtan. If anybody other's ever done kirtan, you know that like, um, it like builds and builds and builds and there's this amazing like cacophony of sound and it's gorgeous. And then the, it calms down and then it ends. Mm. And then you're just left in this, um, this like vacuum of vibrations and everybody's devotion in the same time is like, just like, tingles with energy it's so cool and that I think because I could feel that and because I'm so connected to music that's really what got me um really feeling like oh there is a spirituality to my life you know I can feel like something out there is is supporting me in that way Mm. you know um so that was really a beautiful time and I did a lot of chanting and um because I played guitar already my um, kirtan teacher was like pulling me in on everything. He's like, hey, come do kirtan every day. We need a guitar player we, and you're such mm-hmm. a good singer. Come on, come on, come on. Um, and so I did that for a long time. Um, and I kind of, you know, as you do, you have phases in your life. Things come and go and kind of flowed out after a while. And uh, I kind of spent the last, I don't know, five to eight years just kind of I don't want to say floating without a spirituality because I know it's always been there, but I think my cynical side kind of took over. 
mm. a little bit. And just in the last couple of years with the pandemic, I really, I had a lot more anxiety and I really needed something again, you know? And so I finally started asking more questions from, from just the place where I am, you know, not from the kirtan, from the Hindu side of it, not from the UU side of it, not from my family or what anybody else had ever told me, but I'm finally starting to ask all these questions from just me as I am. And, um, I'm actually learning more about the Baha'i faith because my fiance um, is Baha'i and I have a, a lot of friends now who are Baha'i and just reading a, a hint of writings here and there and just kind of exploring that um, is really has really been interesting and asking questions of these people who are, um, from my experience, I, I don't want to mess this up, but from mm-hmm. my experience, Baha'i feels very Unitarian-like, yeah. except from the Eastern world. That, that's been my experience with Baha'i as well. And, like, back in the day when I used to take the belief uh quiz, which was a thing that was on the <laughs> Internet, or you, you, you take a quiz and it tells you what, you're, uh, what, what religions you resonate <laughs> with, and that would always be, like, Unitarian and Baha'i were always where I ranked. Interesting. And then, like, Quaker. <laughs> cool. So Yeah, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar, and we have a big beautiful Baha'i temple uh here in the in the suburbs here that I've seen and it's amazing yeah it is I actually got to go um because Spencer my fiance grew up in Chicago oh cool that that was his um introduction to the Baha'i faith as well and so we got to go a couple years ago and it is gorgeous yeah even if you're not interested in the religion at all like it's just a beautiful building Hmm. I wanted to circle back to what you were saying about the the chanting and 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 the idea that like you're not necessarily like you don't know what is what is being said but it's felt mm-hmm. and I thought that was that was super neat and there's something about um I find especially as a well, as a Unitarian uh who has Catholic baggage um <laughs> Uh, there's a certain like, I mean, there's 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 a joke that Unitarian like uh, Unitarians are, are terrible in choir because they're always looking ahead to see if they agree with the hymns, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like we're very like <laughs> cynical, yeah. and there's something about like you can't even understand the language, but you have to feel it and you have to sense it. That um, I think is super powerful. Um, this is accidentally becoming a through line of this season that, mm. oh, like, this is the third interview where we've talked about religion as a language. Ooh, <laughs> interesting. So uh, that's just sort of building itself. But I just wanted to highlight that that's, that's sort of connected to this through line that I'm discovering. I, I mean, absolutely. Like, it has to be very connected to language because, mm-hmm. you know, that's how we create meaning. And I was just having this conversation the other day with um, our Baha'i friend, like sometimes, you know, the, the writings and the hymns and stuff, like they're very, they're written in very like Shakespearean language, you mm-hmm. know, all the ifs and, and doths and thighs and things. <laughs> and uh, I have a really hard time like focusing past like five words of that stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And I've always been a person that is so feeling <laughs> Like, yes, I I was pretty intellectual in high school because, like, that was the thing that to do um, to survive high school and get good grades and stuff. But, like, now um, when I did my yoga teacher training, I, I couldn't stand to read the yoga sutras because they were trying to intellectualize and put into words, like, very, you know, like, the word people use is elevated. And, mm-hmm. like, that's what it feels like. It's, like too much for me you know Mm -hmm. I would rather just sit there and feel it instead of having to read a whole chapter about how I should be feeling you know what I mean yeah yeah and 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 it's music and and words being spoken aloud like like Shakespeare I mean Shakespeare is not meant to be I mean it's it's, Shakespeare's meant to be read aloud like in that same sort of way that you know music is meant to be felt and yes and all of that so you so you've landed in this in this this Baha'i place and and all these things and then um, I know you mentioned that you're you're also into like the ma- manifestation and those kind of 
adjacent things. So can you sort of unpack what all that is? <laughs> a little bit. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, just being a yoga person, um, you know, you kind of end up in that world a little bit and you're okay. like, oh, I can, I can start to play with reality a little bit and, and see what I can do just because I've experienced the power of my mind. And like, um, sometimes I feel like I'm trying to figure out whether like I'm actually making something happen or if I'm just so in tune that I knew it was going to happen before it was already going to happen. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? (laughs) So like, am I in charge or am I just super in tune with destiny? Yeah. (laughs) And that sounds very epic when I say it like that, but like, um, I, I've been playing a lot in my life with like, um, visualization lately Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you watch The Secret and you hear all these things like, oh, I can control the world with my mind. And I'm like, oh, well, that's really scary for me as a person with anxiety because, like, (laughs) I have so many worries and I go to the worst places in my head all the time. Like, what am I creating? Yeah, you don't – like, that is is a big, terrible rabbit hole that I have many opinions about. Um, (laughs) But, but yes, I'm glad that you you noticed, like, sort of the – there is this thing where it does get really spooky when things do just sort of happen and you like you want the thing and then the thing happens and but then you also have to be like I did not like you don't have superpowers though you don't want to give yourself superpowers right exactly <laughs> yeah, like, I don't want that much responsibility <laughs> like yes. I don't want all of my thoughts to come true that would be terrible um but I mean there's something to be said for like I've heard this said that like you you can't create all the things that you worry about. It's just that you're blocking all the good energy. Okay. Um, and I also, um, not to paint myself as this terribly woo-woo person because I'm really, I'm, I feel pretty balanced. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> but like I also, ha- I'm certified in Reiki. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's that. Um, but through that, I really learned that the energy is there's just one energy and i i really believe this i've i've come to believe this that there's only the divine energy and mm-hmm. you're either allowing it or you're blocking it and like the bad things are not from bad energy it's just that you're blocking all the good energy from coming in mm-hmm. and when we do reiki we're taking away those blockages so the divine energy can come in and do all the healing that you need to do and whether you believe it or not it it really doesn't matter but that energy is is happening and you get to choose, you know, where you're, um, whether to clean off your satellite dish or not, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I definitely uh, agree with the sense of it, like it, it being like something that you tune into and it's just something that you can, you can tap into and like, it's that still small voice of wisdom or, you know, whatever. Um, and you know, whether it's an internal or external force, like what, however, however you want to paint it. Um, I, I, I think because I spent the pandemic very much in, on the internet and following a lot of, I, I, this is, this is a little bit about about my my journey is that I went through a phase about around like January or so. Um, I started really deconstructing from the, like, the really intense elements of the woo and, like, the problem, then, like, positivity culture. And mm. I actually went down some YouTube rabbit holes about anti-multi-level anti, marketing and sort of the, like, hustle culture, lady boss energy language that's used in there. And I looked at that and I looked at some of the coaches that I followed and I unfollowed those coaches. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and so that's the thing. And I'm curious about that. As, and, you know, say, say what you're comfortable with that. But as you're starting to enter the coaching space, like, how are you navigating that? <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. What a huge topic. Um, um, yes. Yes. Uh, as somebody who has been kind of on both sides of that like yes I have done an MLM and I have um you know been around all these people that are um we have started to call it ungrounded spirituality okay like you know the when you get to the only light and love and everything else doesn't exist Mm -hmm. kind of ideas like the spiritual bypassing like 
I didn't know that was a thing up until like five years ago. I didn't, I thought I could just, you know, be who I was and not have to worry about all the bad things and I could just focus on the good things and everybody else, I could tell everybody else that this is the way to be and mm -hmm. they just weren't understanding it, you know, and that's a whole codependency rabbit hole as well. But like, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that was definitely problematic and I didn't understand how much I was spiritual bypassing and then a friend brought it up in a Facebook conversation and um, I was like oh wow okay I need to look at myself and mm -hmm. um, I think that's uh, around the time I had started going to therapy too so I was really diving into all this stuff on the inside about what how much weight I was putting on um, other people's opinions of me and also what I felt about myself and how I was, you know, over pushing myself to be somebody that, you know, I thought was the right way to be, you know, that positive vibes only mm -hmm. culture. And that sometimes happens um, here in Hawaii, like people mistake aloha culture for like, um, you know, you just have to be nice to me all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's not really how being a human works. Um, you know, no. we have we have emotions, we have anger, we have um the ebb and flow of of shadow and light and all that stuff. And mm -hmm. um so people come here as tourists and they're like, "Oh, you know, this place is closed. Um I I feel like I'm not getting the service I deserve. Where's your aloha?" And everybody that lives here is just like, "Oh my god." Like it's that kind of expectation and and um, view that like nothing gets to ever be wrong, you know, when you're mm. on vacation in Hawaii or like um, the the super woo woo people that are like all light and love and like when they're confronted with um, you know problems in within an organization or any kind of systemic oppression, they're just like, oh, no, that's not happening because I don't want it to happen. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's a whole thing. And it's it's hard to dismantle that inside yourself when you're a person that hasn't had any anybody shine that back in your face and um, you haven't had any practice with, with doing deep inner work. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't want to say that everybody who is like that has never done deep inner work because they totally have, but it's, um, it's hard to be in that energy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's it, it. Thank you for, thank you for unpacking that. I know it's a, a rabbit hole. Um, it's just a thing I'm very curious about. Um, <laughs> as I've, yeah, been trying to, trying to navigate these things. Cause like I too, like, well, I went, I went through like a spiritual by, well, I guess kind of a spiritual bypass phase, but like sort of that, the, um, and I had, uh, I had a good friend who I no longer speak to, who, mm. um, was really deep in the, um, manifestation woo woo stuff and like, like gaslit me with the four agreements kind of thing. Ooh. Yeah. Like, like nothing is like the idea that, um you are not or to take nothing personally means that if someone calls you out on something it's not a it's not a you problem like ooh yeah, yeah that's so, hard <laughs> yes so part of that is is i think a part of my new fascination of like really unpacking the meat and levels of it is like trying to unpack that dynamic um, you know <laughs> yeah absolutely and i think that's um, just talking to people I know that have been in certain religions. And mm -hmm. I mean, it's not just one religion. It's a lot of them. Whenever you have this framework created by a group of people and all of a sudden there's power involved mm -hmm. and like, oh, we have sway in society. Like we have all these people following us and wanting to know what the right answer is. There becomes this like, oh, well, we have all the right answers. And like, we're humans at the end of the day creating these frameworks. So of course it's not going to be perfect, but, you know, to keep that power, they have to frame it as perfect. You know, you mm -hmm. don't need anything else. You just need to 
to be more in the church. You need to be more trusting um, of God. You know, you need to push away all these these bad feelings because that's not divine, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. which is, doesn't make any sense if you're yeah, it's, a human it's, being it's, in the world. It's human. It's a human thing. And being able to sort through it with your – you know, little piece of the divine in your pocket, but still, like, you want to confront those things. Um, I feel like um, this is the part of the episode where I quote Richard Rohr, because I almost always quote Richard Rohr. Uh, He's a a Franciscan uh, mystic who's, like, I'm on his email list and I'm deep in it. But but one of the things that he says a lot is this idea of of, uh, order, disorder, and reorder, and this idea that... um, there's this need in a lot of, you know, religious structures where it's like the default is like, this is the thing that I need to do to check all the boxes. But the authentic spiritual journey is the things fall apart and then you put them back together. And mm-hmm. when you have to act, do that as a collective, it's there's a lot of fighting, a lot of like like headbutting. And it's hard to like let things just fall apart and be vulnerable and be open and all that stuff. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That, that I think has been one of my most important journeys as a human being. Like, um, I haven't actually read any of her books, but this one quote from, uh, Pema Chodron, the, uh, lean into the sharp points. Have you mm-hmm. heard that? Like, that's my whole philosophy in life. Like, just like whenever anything hurts, just like, don't, um, defend as much as you want to, you know, like just because you're in pain doesn't mean you get to put that on somebody else. Mm-hmm. Your job is to feel through that and go through that black hole because what's on the other side is going to be understanding. It's going to be, um, just relaxation. You know, emotions don't last for that long, but so many people feel that pain and they automatically go, Ooh, I don't want to feel that. What can I do out here to mm-hmm. change that outside of myself? Um, and I see that so much in all systems, you know, not just religious systems or faith systems, but like everything in our society. There's so much defensiveness mm-hmm. and unwilling to feel your feelings. Um, and so I've been struggling with like um, this idea that like I was raised to be very cynical and like part of me is like, oh, I wish I I had been raised with a little um, – relationship to faith and like Mm -hmm. a little more trusting but on the other hand I'm super grateful for my cynicism because that means I didn't just follow anything blindly without um you know really thinking about is that really what I believe and you know not trusting anything or any human completely because they're human and they're fallible and um faith is such a hard thing in that respect because even Jesus was a human you know Mm -hmm. Like everybody has has faults and um, those moments where you you get poked with some something painful in your heart and you go ooh ow that hurts mm-hmm. and you have that decision in that moment whether to really feel it or to deflect yeah yeah. Do not need to wait for you Do not need you to call Do not need to miss you I'll catch you when you fall Hi there, we'll be back to my conversation with Sarah Jelly in a minute But I wanted to quickly tell you about what's happening with the New Faith New Media Network As you know, this show is produced by New Faith New Media and Interfaith Podcast Network. We just launched our crowdfunding campaign to help us pay for an amazing new website. This website will include our very own discussion forum where folks from different faith backgrounds can build community, discuss NFNM shows, and connect on other topics as well. Shout out to Susan Lavelle, Katie Oberly, Al Cole, Lori Morrison, CJ Tour. Richard Bell, Cameron Hood, Sue Burke, and Lindsey Brown for their donations so far. You can find out more about the campaign and how you can support 
by heading to bit.ly slash nfnmindy. That's B-I-T period L-Y slash N-F-N-M-I-N-D-I-E. And of course, that link will also be in the show notes. Thank you so much for your support. I am so excited for us to have our own little corner of the internet to be nerdy about uh, theology and the ways that we make meaning. It's going to be a good time. Okay, back to our conversation. You did not leave a hole in me Though I know emptiness You will not fill the kind of hole You said the thing about about being being poked and then my mind went isn't that a song lyric? <laughs> and I did not mean for that to segue, but <laughs> isn't is, is that is that in Alice or which song of yours is that in? Because I it just I was listening to your album before this interview. Oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, in holes, I talk a lot about oh. that idea of of going through that feeling and and feeling through to the other side because that's what holes mm-hmm. um, really means to me. Like when when you have this hole in your emotional body, that's where, um, you get triggered with certain things. And like, um, some people have this hole around their, their intellect and that's where they really feel like less than. And so Mm -hmm. that's where they're, you know, they have all these feelings of, of not good enough. And people are, are just trying to fill that hole with something else, you know, more courses. <laughs> so, this is totally mine, by the way. I take Same. more courses and more courses and I learn more things so I can be prepared for all the things. And uh, what I really need to do is just just feel okay with not knowing everything mm. and just feel th- all the way through that to like, okay, to that self-acceptance place and then just do the things from where I am. And so that's where my whole, like my number one value right now is self-acceptance because that's, I think we all need a little bit of that because we're all doing things in order to compensate for what we feel like we don't have. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, it definitely relates to my whole album. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Pretty much every song on there I wrote because I was trying to feel through all these feelings of like, I'm trying so hard why is this not working? Hmm. <laughs> you know, I like, there's got to be a better way. And then I started learning about the theory of holes and the diamond approach, which is a whole thing I'm just like putting my toes into. Um, it's What's very... the cliff notes of that? The, the di- you said the diamond approach? Yes, it's a, uh, I don't even know it because uh, I'm just very much uh, relating to it in a very baby way. Um, okay. But my therapist recommended it because um, I know that I need a spirituality in my um, journey towards mental health because um, like I haven't really gotten to the point where like I can trust that my anxiety is going to go away or that whatever Mm. I'm worried about is not going to happen and so that trust and faith is the thing that I need so she recommended this book um, and it's very like a whole lot of um, where it shows up in the world is therapists actually running workshops around it um, not necessarily like putting it into their therapy within sessions, but like, here's another tool for you as a human. And it is very much that theory of holes. Like you have all the, these, these holes that you're trying to fill with other stuff when really you just need to go into the hole and feel it all the way through to the end. Mm. And that's where any kind of resolution is going to lie. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And I think... <laughs> My mind immediately goes to the music video for this song where, like, you have the, uh, so there's an aerialist dancing in, in, in a, spinning around in a hula hoop. And I was like, <laughs> you took the metaphor and then you did a choreo in it. <laughs> I went super meta. Yes, I did. <laughs> it was, it was so good. I, and I will, I will link these things so people okay. can know what we're talking about. <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't sure whether that was going to be too on the nose, but I really liked how it turned out. Like, yeah. uh, I mean, so that was my friend, uh, Victoria. She's an incredible aerialist. And I basically just told her, like, this is what the song is about, about, like, this uh, relationship that wasn't feeling fulfilling. And I was trying to feel into all these feelings. And so she went into that hoop and felt all those feelings and danced it out. And it was, it just turned out so gorgeous. Mm. That's 
That's amazing. Um, I'm trying to think of other. uh, So the other, the other, like I guess, single from that album that I know you you uh, talk about a lot is "Can't Fix Anybody." Yeah. So can you sort of unpack that one for the audience? Yeah. So that was my the beginning of my journey with codependency. Um, I had just started going to therapy and like. Um, was ending a big relationship because there was so much codependency going on within me and we just weren't um, good for each other anymore. You know, like we just needed to go separate ways. And um, so I was then starting to see where it showed up in all my other relationships in my life, like just friend relationships, acquaintances, just how much I was like, I had this energy of like, please like me. Like, Mm. why are you acting this way it's so dumb like I have all the answers like don't you just want to do this that I have you know just go do yoga or like go eat vegan or something you know (laughs) (laughs) it'll fix all your problems but I I I have a I have a string of that as well so I I get that (laughs) yeah yeah um but it, it to me codependency at the core is is putting everybody else's potential on a pedestal and you're addicted to other people um and you you feel like you need those people in your life and you need to be the one that's going to fix them. And so I started realizing like, oh, this person's really getting on my nerves. Um, can't he see that he's just being ridiculous and he should just do this other thing, you know, go the other way. But you can't change people, you know. You can't make people just stop being ridiculous and stop being themselves because there's a whole lifetime there of, of trauma and just how they live their lives and how they prefer to live their lives. And, um, I realized so much that it was way heavier on me than it was on them. Like they're just living their lives. They're doing their thing. You know, (laughs) even though it might feel really annoying and abrasive to me, how they're acting, they're fine. (laughs) You know, they're floating around on their cloud. Everyone's Um, on their own journey. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So then I realized that all these things that were bothering me about these people, were really, like, in a smaller way, things I didn't like about myself mm. um, because I had tendencies to – maybe not, like, super 100% like them, but I definitely had these tendencies, like, um, the indecisiveness of somebody else just got on my nerves so much. And I, I heard all these people talking about, like, people – I mean, like, um, thought leaders that I listened to and teachers and stuff. Like, I kept hearing this message of, like, you – are only bothered by things that bother you about yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, and that like you feel bad about in some way. Otherwise it wouldn't bother you, you know, like I don't care if, if people don't eat vegan anymore, it doesn't bother me. But at the time it really did because Mm. I felt weird about my being vegan, you know? (laughs) So, and that's a, a very service level example, but, um, yeah, it definitely taught me that I needed to look in, First and foremost, before I do anything, have any conversation with anybody, I need to figure out how I feel about that um, that behavior or that concept within myself. So, like, my indecision really bothers me. So, of course, it's going to bother me and somebody else. But when I um, when I get okay with that in myself, when I accept that I'm maybe a little indecisive and, you know, not the most super aggressive person like it will feel better on the inside and therefore it will feel better watching this other person go through that too Mm. so hence you can't fix anybody but yourself yeah and I want to put a disclaimer on that like at the time I hadn't really realized that like saying that phrase meant that you still have to fix yourself and now I'm much more on the side of like you don't have to fix yourself (laughs) you know like (laughs) You can work on yourself and you can grow. You don't have to fix yourself, you know, so that wording is not the perfect, but. Everybody's got that one old friend, you know, the one I'm talking about. One that doesn't like to hang around, but doesn't like to feel left out. Back and forth and back and forth again, like a carnival ride. Complaining, raising hell, but never gone. Just cannot decide. Somebody should just 
slap them good Anything you say Never will sway All your solution Put them back on the shelf Cause you can't So tell me a little bit about um, Sort of this new vocal coach path that you're sort of discovering and, and what you've got going in that area. Yeah, totally. And I definitely wanted to talk to you more about this too, because you've been a music teacher for a long time and like what parallels you have discovered with music being life, you know, like <laughs> this little music is a little microcosm of like the lessons that we're learning as a musician are very much related to lessons as a human, life lessons as a human. And and that trusting idea of having faith. And and um, so what I'm trying to do is um, really let that part of myself out that has all this experience having these really deep moments of, of introspection and going through all these things. Um, as a singer, letting my voice out into the world was a whole transformation. It still is a transformation every day. Like, letting go of that fear, shedding all of these traumas that we've been told, like you're not good enough. Um, this is something I teach my students on a regular basis. And I started to realize so much of what I teach is so related to the mind and the body and the spirit. It's not just that I'm teaching technique, you know, like, yes, I'm teaching you how to have proper breast support and I'm teaching you how to find more space and more placement. But all of that is related to what's going on in your mind. You know, if you don't feel good enough, you're not going to be able to trust that your voice is good enough and you're not going to be able to release in the places that you need to release in order to feel the freedom that you need to feel as a musician. And it's always going to feel hard and like I'm not doing it right. And so we're always finding these layers that we've put on ourselves, especially as adults, kids have a lot of less of these layers, but like as adults, we have so many, um, things that we've, uh, felt that weight of like, oh, my choir teacher in sixth grade kicked me out because I wasn't, wasn't good enough. My mom told me to stop singing the car once and I just never sung again. Mm. Like those moments of trauma that are just so sad. <laughs> like, and every, every single student that comes to me gives me uh, some version of that, you know, like, I just want to be a better singer. I just want to not suck. <laughs> and so we spend months, the first couple months, just unpacking all that. You know, I'm teaching them technique, but we're also unpacking like, okay, I know you know how to do this. Why didn't it work this time? What was going through your head before you sang that phrase? And then it's always some version of like, oh, I'm scared I won't hit that note. Or I, I don't think I can do it for whatever reason. So there's so much underneath that and definitely relates to what we've been talking about with with having faith and feeling all those feelings and if you just keep defending from those things like um, I have so many students that like they have horrible self-talk and I've been there like this is who I am I'm a perfectionist as well I'm an all or, all or nothing person so if it's not perfect I'm always in my head going how can I do this better why didn't I do this right um, but then that is just pushing that free voice your voice further mm. down and you're just resisting and resisting and resisting and it's this vicious cycle of resistance so what I am morphing my business into is are you a human are you a, a whole person <laughs> who wants to sing let's work with this whole person yeah. and have that be the goal is to find you as a whole person as a singer and to really take away all these layers if we can yeah that's that's really beautiful and I definitely like see parallels in in my own teaching um and um I have to say from like a personal aspect the yeah the undoing of the vocal trauma thing is a real thing mm -hmm. um I I had a I had a uh, choir director who, in hindsight, as a grown adult, I can be like, "You were burned out AF, and you were done teaching high school students, so you yelled at us a bunch." But yeah. you know, like I made my peace with it that aspect. But she still lives in my throat a little bit, like, and and it did like I had to undo like anxiety that like caused me to choke up 
in situations because she her perfectionism was so intense that I would literally choke up. And that has just been made me very aware of who I am as a teacher. And sort of one of my things is that I have if, if the I guess the element of faith that comes into teaching is faith in the learning process and and faith in the you know that it, it is a slow and steady thing and you have to trust yourself and you have to uh really engage and work through your perfectionism and you know and you're just learning how to do the things and I love like I work with little itty bitties and mm. even with like the five or six year olds it's like well your fingers take a little bit more time to learn than your brain does and your brain can understand it, but then your fingers need that little bit of extra work, and that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and all of us are made that our four and our five, our ring finger and our pinky, are going to want to move together because they're really good friends because they share a muscle. <laughs> and so you need to – and like, and that's what teacher gal sounds like. Um, <laughs> I love it. But but it is and, – and also like letting them ask questions that – are on topic and going down different, you know, rabbit holes within there and just like really discovering the language of, of music and, mm. and yeah, but overall creating this, you know, this, this creative, curious, safe space, you know, cause that is a core part of being able to do music because yeah. you have to be creative and curious. You have to let the, I the the process of flow in. You have to let you like like you have to get yourself to a place where you can trust and be, you know, yeah, and tap into the whatever it is. You know, for children, it's just like their default setting. So it's it's just like letting that, just teaching them to use their powers for good. <laughs> Totally. Yes. Exactly. Um, yes. Uh, also, on, an, on another note, I've, I've also recently realized that uh, eight-year-olds are are the are have are in a place where they've just discovered sarcasm, <laughs> and they use it as a toy. Yeah. <laughs> and they do not know how to use it, and it's my yeah. favorite thing. Where it's just like, oh, oh, you're figuring out how to do that, and it's not working for you. <laughs> you're almost you're almost there not quite please stop picking on me let's play piano (laughs) right oh my gosh yes kids they learn so fast but they don't learn like the full meaning of everything that fast and so it takes a while for them to catch up I think to like how it is how it really lands on other people Mm -hmm. crazy yeah and then you have to just not take it personally because like or you take it you, you communicate the ouch like ouch we don't do that here but it's also like because you you're you're just playing with your new toy sarcasm like right and (laughs) i honestly i love that about kids like they're so unafraid especially when in singing like they just Mm -hmm. sing you know little kids yeah once they get to like 12 or 13 they've already been in like middle school and they have all these like other people's opinions that are already starting to get nasty inside of them and um they'd stop themselves already but when they're little they just like walk around singing stuff and they don't care if they're good or not Mm -hmm. and that's the freedom that I'm always trying to get my students back to is like I like as an adult I have put so many um, ideas of how I should sound and like you know the people I want to sound like I put so much pressure on myself to sound like them and to be as good as them and to feel as free as them and to to do all the things like them and um, so much of, of voice training in my studio is unlearning all of those, those things that we put on ourselves, the expectations and all the things that keep us from just letting our voice out into the world, you know, mm-hmm. like so many of my adult students just will not sing in front of other people than me. And, and that's what this next, um, growth of my studio is going to be like, I 
don't want to be the teacher that just lets you sing to me for three years. Like that would be doing you a disservice, you know. Music is a performance art. So I'm trying to like give them a little push out into the world. So I'm starting this group program where they can have this safe container to -hmm. sing in front of other singers who get it and who are on the same level and they can support each other in that way. And they also get to hear other people's feedback at the same time. Like if I'm giving somebody feedback about belting and like you're not maybe belting yet, but you osmose that and hold it for later, you might be able to, you know, shoot past that milestone faster later. So that's, um, I'm super excited about this group program because I think I have a bunch of students right now that are like, they've been working so hard on all the technique stuff and all the mindset stuff. And I, I finally think they're ready to like take baby steps out into the world and to start singing imperfectly. And that's the hardest thing for adults, but I think it's necessary to do Mm -hmm. that. I mean, I'm sure, you know, as a improv musician, you just got to let it be ugly sometimes. Oh yeah. (laughs) You know, it's so, that's the thing. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, we made a choice there. All right, we just gotta, you just gotta, you just gotta keep going. <laughs> like, totally. Yeah, no, I, I, I've when I've taught uh, drama to, or when I've ta- when I've directed like m- musicals with filled with small children, and like the last day, they're like, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? And I'm like, at a certain point. You just have to believe that no matter what happens, you're going to solve that problem when the problem is happening. Yes. But. <laughs> but things, go- things are going to happen. Things are going to happen. Things are going to hit the fan. <laughs> yep. And you just have to trust your ability to solve it in the moment. But that's not a now problem. Right. Right. And, oh, my gosh. That is the definition of faith to me. Like, mm-hmm. you have to just step out onto the ledge yeah and then you have to take the next step past the ledge in order to have any kind of understanding about what's possible for yourself what you can do and trust yourself and trusting yourself is the hardest thing at least it has been for me like um so many people who are like entrepreneurs and like you know just go out there and be like oh I'm gonna make a million dollars this year like they they have like less of this this fear or like they don't have the switch or something like they're they're missing some kind of of layer or something that that stops them from just like taking the risk and having mm-hmm. faith and they just have the faith and so that's what I'm working on in my life right now is just trusting myself and and just like I have on stage like the fear that you feel before you go out on stage like it means that you care and it's motivating you to do the best possible job you can do and because you're afraid, you're probably going to do even better than if you just didn't care and were like, blah, I'm mm-hmm. going to go and sing now, <laughs> you know, and it's- that relates to pretty much everything else in your life. Like if you feel the fear and just do it anyway, you get to learn about what you can do and then you're ever moving up on that ladder. Mm. It's that idea that you, there is, there's the order of this is a big old metaphor, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go riff on it. Um, it's this idea that you have a script, you have your your plan, you have your goals and the stuff that you're working on, and you have your script, but then you know something doesn't happen. This set piece didn't come in. This person said not the line that you thought, and then you have to improvise. And like I, something I say a lot is that I I view the universe or the higher power or whatever as an improv partner. Mm-hmm. It's not a wish-granting factory. It's an improv yes. partner. And so you're going to do your initiation, and it's going to give you something, and sometimes it swipes the scene, and you're just like, well, here we are at the Bunny Jerry's. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. that, that, that was my improv opening. Thank you. Okay. Um, <laughs> like... Uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's learning to have plans, but also be prepared for those plans to shift and change. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's such a good metaphor. And it's, that's, I mean, everything you, like, you can't go through life just like hoping that everything's going to stay on script all the time. Like it's not going to happen, especially Mm -hmm. if you're working with other people and doing anything out in the world. Um, which is where all the growth is, right? If you do things in, in your own little world and just do them all by yourself, it's maybe going to go more on script, but who knows, you know? Yeah. 
And I think talking about manifestation in that way is so awesome. I love that is universe is an improv partner because yeah, sometimes you can visualize and do all the right things and like, I'm going to manifest a million dollars. And then it comes in a way that you don't want it to come, you know, like you get hit by a bus and then you get like all that money from a settlement, but then you can't walk anymore, you know. But also like, you didn't cause that to happen with your mind. You just got hit by a bus. <laughs> like <laughs> That was the the universe's improv answer to like, oh, okay, you want a million dollars? Here you go. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe it was just like, this was not actually connected to that ask for a million dollars, but you got hit by a bus. <laughs> like, you know. Right. <laughs> like, this is what's happening. This is my random thought for the t- today. What are you going to do with it Here's my initiation. Now? Swipe at yeah. it. Um. <laughs> yeah. The universe yeah. is a, a funny, sassy individual. Yes, exactly. Uh, that's 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 one of one of the core themes on this show. <laughs> yeah, it's the sass of the universe. Um, awesome. This has been a really great conversation. I'm uh, and I'm I'm glad we got to just like sort of unpack the suitcase of of all of the things there. Um, yeah. Uh, is there anything that you um anything else like any sort of uh, final thoughts, other things burbling that you want to make sure that you voice? Um, I, I always like to just remind people out there who are creative people that, you know, it takes a lot of, you know, just that energy of like, I'm just going to do the thing, you know, it, knowing that it doesn't have to be perfect. Um, just taking that pressure off yourself and just allowing yourself to play can be such a good place to start. You know, like if you want to sing, go take one voice lesson or go to a karaoke night or something, you know, just, just finding that one, one first step that you can make to make that happen without all the pressure that you Mm. feel like being a singer has to have. Um, and it can be anything, playing the piano. I want to be a dancer. I want to start a business. Um, I think being a creative person doesn't have to be, I'm a charting artist, you know, like it doesn't have <laughs> to look like that. It can be, if you have this desire within you, just taking the first step is so important and that it takes faith for sure. Um, but also sometimes just taking that next step forward is, is what's going to show you where the faith comes from, I think. Mm. Yeah. I like yeah. it stuff. Thank you. Um, <laughs> where can people find you? Um, where do you want to send people to find out more about you? All that good stuff. Yes. So uh, if you want to hear more of my music, you can go to sarahjellymusic.com. And that's Sarah with no H and a jelly with an extra E before the Y. Um and uh, I'm writing a lot more and I'm hopefully hoping to put out um, an EP or an album or something in this next year. Um, so that's cool. If you want to do that, it's all on Spotify as well. The album Holes is on Spotify and Apple Music and all the things. And um, if you want to know more about me as a vocal coach, um, you can uh, get on my uh, mailing list for that at found.ee slash vocal magic. And um, it's a very fledgling little site because I'm just creating my internet presence for my vocal coaching. Um, but you can learn more about what my new program is going to look like and um, send me your email and I'll send you some cool stuff and we'll keep you updated on where that's going. Awesome. <sighs> Thank you so much for being on the show. This is wonderful. Thank <laughs> I'm so you. glad we could like connect again. <laughs> too i know it's been so long since we actually talked and i'm so grateful to you for having me and it's such a lovely conversation and like i love these conversations where at times you get like this like oh this is getting really deep and oh should i be talking about this but i'm gonna talk about it anyway and those are my favorite like real deep conversations so thank you yeah yay yay thank you for listening to faith and what resonates The theme song is My Journey, My Song, the first song I wrote back when I was 19. (laughs) Thanks, Pascal. Faith in What Resonates is part of the New Faith New Media Network. 
You can discuss this and future episodes in the New Faith New Media Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash NFNM group. You can also follow us on social media, and those links are in the show notes. If you want to support New Faith New Media, you can support our crowdfunding campaign at bit.ly slash NFNM Indie or support us on an ongoing basis by becoming a patron. All Patreon supporters get access to our Patreon-exclusive podcast, Blessed Lunatics, where the founding members of NFNM explore the divine through laughter, which is code for we drink and we share stories and make jokes about our different faith backgrounds. It's a good time. Finally, if you want to find out more about the other things that I do in the world, head to gailgallaghermusic.com. Thanks for listening, and remember to stay curious and follow the magic of the things that resonate.